Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Marble Palace, Saskatchewan Post Media's look at the goings-on at the Saskatchewan Legislature. I'm Murray Mandrick, political columnist for the Regina Leader Post and Saskatoon Star Phoenix. Joining me as always, Arthur White Crummy, who is our legislative reporter, busy covering the legislature that starts this morning, this being uh, uh, Wednesday morning before Remembrance Day at 10 o'clock. And a handsome young man joining joining us today from Saskatoon, Zach Vesera. How's that? Am I getting better? It's pretty okay, but you, know, you called me handsome, so I'll let you get away with that. Oh, that 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 was an obvious attempt to suck up. Zach is a reporter from the Star Phoenix who has been doing some absolutely excellent work on COVID-19 related to some uh, freedom of information uh, requests that you uh, were were applied for and were granted. And I'm going to start there and let you outline in a, in a way perhaps that you haven't been able to do verbally. What was in those requests and what you found most interesting about them? So for months in the summer and fall, as our COVID-19 caseload began to rise and it became clear that this was going to be a record setting wave of infections, Saskatchewan's government refused for months to provide the internal COVID-19 disease modeling that helps them map out the next stage of the pandemic. In previous we, uh, waves, we had gotten this modeling semi-regularly. It was sort of an update saying, hey, based on the best information we have, on the best assumptions at a given point in time, given specific parameters, here's what we can expect. So it was very conspicuous to me and other reporters that it wasn't being released this time, uh, especially since Saskatchewan decided to drop all of its public health measures in July. What we were able to get through that Freedom of Information request was hundreds of pages of modeling from between June and October. That showed that as early as June 15th, modelers were saying there was a very high likelihood of a record-setting wave of transmission in the fall if we dropped all the transmissions that we did in July, which of course Saskatchewan did. Then weeks later, when numbers started to rise again in August, modelers said we really need a masking mandate. This could reduce fatalities by between 35 and 50 percent. And days after that modeling came out, Premier Scott Moe and Minister Paul Merriman shot that down very aggressively and called it an infringement on freedoms and a way of punishing the majority of Saskatchewan people who are vaccinated against COVID-19. And the final kind of big finding from this modeling was in October. Um, the modelers warned that we were on the brink of having to send people out of province because of how overwhelmed our ICUs are and said we really need a circuit breaker type lockdown. Um, to control infection and encourage more people to get vaccinated against COVID-19. That's the same thing many medical experts were also calling for, and it did not happen. And we ended up sending more than 20 uh, critically ill people here in Saskatchewan to Ontario for care. Last I checked, there are still 15 people there. Um, and we've had to call on the Army to assist in our intensive care units because of how overwhelmed they are. Uh, so what we saw basically in the modeling was that uh, Saskatchewan's government frequently uh, either did not take the advice of, of the top modelers when it was when it was being put out, even when their predictions were or their projections rather were spot on every single time. Um, and further to that, they sometimes when they sometimes when they refused, they were forced to kind of reverse course a few weeks later because of how dire the situation was. Um, we released that modeling on Friday. And since then, it's been uh, it's been a hop and topic at the ledge. It, it absolutely has, and we'll get into that with a moment uh, with Arthur. Tell us a little bit more about, I think what they said in August, about uh, it, uh, masking mandates and how that was likely to 
uh, affect the numbers of actual COVID cases. If I remember from your stories, they talked about having the cases, half the number of cases if we simply proceeded with the masking mandate a little earlier than we did. Exactly. No. And basically what the model, what the modeling is to kind of give a breakdown is that it, it sort of assumes spread of the disease given certain parameters, which for August, for much of August, July and September was there's no COVID-19 restrictions in place. Public behavior might change a little bit as people get wise to the fact the virus is spreading. But essentially, there, there's there's nothing kind of keeping the, the virus in check, at least from a government policy standpoint. Um and so in August, they put out their, their latest model and they said, hey, we did this calculation with a scenario if we were to implement universal masking like we did back in the day, including in schools. And what they found was a reduction of cases, uh, hospitalizations and, and possibly deaths by up to between 35 and 50 percent. So a huge amount of benefit for, for not doing very much. Funnily enough, when, when Mr. Paul Merriman was, was, was pushed on this modeling recently by, by Arthur and others, Lecture, uh, he made a comment, an offhand comment, that uh, if they had followed the modeling, there would only be extreme measures. The professor who develops much of that modeling, Dr. Nathaniel Osgood, then later spoke to me and said that was, quote, balderdash, end quote, um, pointing out that these models were never really calling for lockdowns in, in July and August and September. They weren't going that extreme. They were almost universally calling for things like masking, like vaccine passports, uh, measures that Dr. Osgood described as being economically neutral. Arthur, you were in the legislature for every question period since Zach's stories have come out and certainly the scrums afterwards. For any opposition, this would be manna from heaven because in essence it becomes uh, the news cycle doing the work of oppositions of having ready-made topics to talk about. How did that play out in question period? And I, I want you, if you can, to best review the responses we were getting from government from both uh, Premier Scott Moe and Health Minister Paul Merriman in the rotunda. Let's start out with what they, they asked in uh, question period in relation to this and other uh, uh, other stories this week. Well, I think that you're right, Murray, that uh, Zach's stories were, uh, you know, manna for, for uh, the NDP because uh, it really, you know, allowed them to continue a narrative that they've been driving throughout the entire session, which is that uh, the Saskatchewan party government had access to uh, warnings, it had access to forecasts, it had access to recommendations from public health experts that, that, that painted a very scary picture uh and yet they chose not to act they chose to uh pare back public health restrictions during the summer and not reimpose them until the situation got uh quite bad indeed and uh that that's really uh something that we've been hearing from you know ryan miley since the first day of the session or the second day the first question period uh and 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 we really heard the same response from the government throughout and 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 that didn't change when zach's story was published it's that uh as far as uh, scott moe is concerned the current numbers are starting to look pretty good we have a trajectory where things are are where uh, daily case numbers are dropping fairly precipitously and hospitalizations are following just a couple of weeks after precisely like we would expect um, when we got the health minister out in the scrum after Zach's story to ask him, you know, did you see this modeling? Why did you not take action? We got a similar response, uh, though he also gave us a little bit more insight into the decision making at the time. 
back in August was, was was really where I focused. Like, why didn't you put into place this mask mandate when you had, you know, modeling that very specifically said that it would reduce cases by about half? And he said, well, we were paying attention to where case numbers were at the time. That's, you know, a bit of a paraphrase, but it seems like they were uh, putting more weight on the, the relatively low uh, case and hospitalization numbers uh, that we were still seeing in the summer. They were already on the way up, as the NDP noted, but obviously nowhere like what we began to see in September and October. Uh, so, 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 so that's interesting. And we asked him, you know, given how accurate the model was, particularly on ICUs, uh, has your thinking changed? And it appears that it hasn't. Uh, they still view modeling as one tool among others and are still continuing uh, to focus on the current statistics in terms of case numbers and hospitalizations, which again are very promising. But uh, Zach, I believe you were on the PIOC call and you can probably talk to what Dr. Shahab said because he was obviously warning that 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 some of the modeling is a little bit troubling again, saying that there's a risk of a fifth wave uh, if we let down our guard. Uh, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how the government reacts to that. We didn't really get an entirely clear answer from Scott Moe when we asked him about it on Tuesday. Yeah, just go ahead, Zach, because you had the PIOC call and the response from Dr. Shahab, Chief Medical Health Officer, isn't necessarily being completely consistent with what we're hearing from the politicians in the House and in the Rotunda. So, so expand on that if you can, please. Definitely. And, and I'll add the caveat, I was not actually on that call, but I have listened to the audio of that call and I've been reporting on all those calls for some time. So I, I can speak to this. Um, yeah, Dr. Shahab has been pretty consistent over the past few weeks, warning us not to let our guard down. And that is a message I hear from every infectious disease doctor, every modeler, um, and every person in the medical community that I, I really hear from. And, and the reason for that is that there is still the very real possibility of a fifth wave. Um, because of how high our COVID-19 caseload was in the fall, what modelers have said we're in for is what's described in one document I obtained as a long plateau. Rather than having a really sharp precipitous drop in cases that's going to take us all the way down to zero, we're going to have kind of a smoldering of COVID-19 for a while. And that's going to be coupled with really high pressure on hospitals because people who are critically ill of COVID can take weeks, if not months, to get better enough um, to, to reach convalescence, to be released. Um, so what you heard from our chief medical health officer yesterday, for example, was saying that, hey, it would really be a mistake to drop any of the public health measures right now. Um, we should not get too cozy over the winter and we should really kind of keep where we are at uh, if we want to be safe. You don't usually hear that kind of clear, direct messaging from Shahab. Usually he's very clear about what kind of his recommendation would be and what he would like to do. So for him to say that it is a mistake to drop the measures is a pretty clear sign he doesn't want that to happen. Now, Arthur asked Premier Scott Moe uh, yesterday um, whether uh, he would be dropping any any public health measures before Christmas, whether there are any plans to do that. He said it hasn't really been discussed at, at the cabinet table at this time. Um, but I can tell you from, from talking to Dr. Osgood, the, the top modeler in the province, the way he put it is that uh, if any jurisdiction, not just Saskatchewan, were to do this at this point, his term was it would be akin to snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, and another epidemiologist, Dr. Cordell Newdorf, who I talked to, was said that it would honestly be leading us into a false sense of security because cases would fall for a couple weeks 
and likely shoot right back up. So the hope is that the worst of COVID-19 is, is behind us in Saskatchewan and that tools like uh, vaccinations for children aged 0 to 11 are going to help us kind of at least manage this better in the future. But no one is getting cozy right now. I, I, I'm going to get back to Arthur in a moment because it's a great point. I, I'm fascinated in terms of how both the Premier and the Health Minister responded to that. But first, I want to ask you, Zach, are you sensing a stronger pushback from the medical community and especially the medical health officers, including, as you noted, uh, Chief Medical Health Officer Shahab, in terms of what the government's direction has been? Because I think it's been the government pretty much having uh, the luxury of defining where it's wanted to go uh, in terms of the COVID messaging up until now. Now that messaging is very different. And I'm sensing one of the reasons it's uh, different right now is because the doctors don't like it, particularly the medical health officers, frustrated with the letter letter that they've sent. We talked about in a previous uh, podcast, frustrated with uh, uh, what might happen in the future. Are you sensing that uh, that they're a little bit more adamant than maybe they used to be in terms of their messaging to government through the media? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely feel that. Uh, a big change I've noticed in wave four compared to the other waves of COVID-19 is that in previous waves, doctors were definitely angry at points and, and they were willing to get on, on a pedestal and, and say, hey, we really should be doing X, Y, Z. The government is sending the wrong message here. But most of them are willing to give Saskatchewan's government some credit. We, we had never really faced situations like this before. And, you know, it seemed like government action wasn't going to solve everything. So the, the, the criticism was was tempered. Um, in that they still wanted to be working with and be partners of government. Now it feels like we've kind of gone past the really hot phase of anger, and we're in this phase of kind of disillusionment. Um, The president of the Saskatchewan uh, Medical Association, Dr. Evan Stridham, called it an erosion of trust. That was the word he put it. He said that the fourth wave has really shaken the faith many physicians have in government to do the right thing. I'm noticing that doctors who are otherwise very neutral and very, you know, they're not all political animals, they don't usually weigh into this kind of thing, are, are not holding back now in their criticism of government and, and, and you know, what they really think the premier ought to have been doing, including medical health officers. Shahab himself, I think it's difficult to tell. Um, you know, I think he's just sort of telling it straight from, from how he feels and the evidence that he sees. Certainly in the past, he's not been as critical as government or uh, as seemingly critical now since uh, he's talking about mis- uh, he's talking about kind of the stakes of what lie ahead. Um, but yeah, I, I think the messaging has shifted and, and I think it shifted because, you know, the medical community is, is sort of in this state of of um, post-crisis anger and, and again, disillusionment. Um, I don't really, really know what the message even is from Saskatchewan's government on COVID-19 right now, uh, except that, you know, the, the things we have been doing are working and we're going to keep it up. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be as rah, rah, rah as it, as it maybe was once upon a time. That's just my read. I, I'm going to get back in, Arthur, in, uh, directly in relationship to that, because I did sense in the scrums in particular, the premier was having a little bit more difficulty Selling what in essence becomes a rather circular message of uh, we put in a lot of restrictions, uh, we modeling is only one tool we use, uh, we can't really predict the future through modeling, and then coming in with I think what was a bit of a channel changer this week in terms of some other things he said in the nation, the nation thing. We'll get into that second, but let's talk just very briefly if you can or or, or uh, about how. The premier in particular seems to be structuring that message and how might it might be a little bit more difficult for him 
to deliver that message as Zach suggested than it has been in the past simply because of what the doctors are saying. Yeah, um, I think that uh, once again, it, it, it has been a very repetitive message uh, about the role of modeling in the government's decision making. And we even heard that going back to 2020. I mean, there were FOIPs back in previous waves that revealed that the government had uh, received modeling soon before previous waves and had not taken action in the weeks to follow. So that's nothing new. And the message really hasn't changed. I think you're right that what's different now is that more people are speaking up, uh, that it's and and just once again, the pressures on the health system are just so much more apparent now that 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 it's it's really not at all hypothetical. Like we're seeing the concrete impacts of uh, of those outcomes that again, many of the models appear to predict. And the NDP has been, I think, doing a fairly effective job at bringing people into the legislature who have been directly you know, impacted by the fourth wave. Uh, some of the stories have been really kind of emotional. Uh, we had a baby who uh, didn't uh, receive eye surgery uh, that that was needed, who had undiagnosed, uh, appeared to be cerebral palsy and wasn't able to get diagnostic imaging. We had a woman who was uh, waiting for hip surgery for essentially the entire pandemic. And most lately, we had somebody that Zach had previously spoken to who was waiting for an organ transplant uh, and, and is terminal. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it, it really put the government into an extremely difficult position having to respond to this one day after the other. Uh, and uh, they're trying to make the best of it. I mean, they're 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 trying to appear human, and 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 they're trying to have a degree of empathy. Uh, I think Scott Moe showed that best when he met with the the hip surgery patient. Um, came out, kneeled with her, talked to her for several minutes, and then came and did a scrum with us. That was probably one of the most open and all encompassing that I've seen during the fourth wave. So, so it's, it, it seems like they recognize that they need to do more effective damage control. Um, whether it's going to work is an open question. Yeah, those are my thoughts on that. <laughs> and now they're talking about something completely different in the sense, and some people are suggesting that this is a channel changer by emerging from this weekend SAS party convention when there was a tremendous talk about uh, the the latest federal pronouncements on climate change and how aggressively they're going to pursue further uh, uh, caps on uh, GHG emissions and the premier's reaction that his reaction was very strong, stronger words than I have heard in terms of capturing uh, the term that we most often associate with Quebec, a nation within a nation. Uh, there are those that are thinking that's very ironic right now, given the fact that the nation of Saskatchewan or the province of Saskatchewan has to ship out its health care uh, 
patients to elsewhere simply because we can't handle the system. So in that sense, I don't know if the timing's too great for uh, the Premier to be talking about that, but nevertheless, he is. What was he saying and what elements did struck you uh, from having covered this do you find to be I, well, I think a pretty legitimate beast with the federal government over the whole uh, carbon tax issue and other issues in terms of interprovincial relations. But let, let's just start out with what the premier was saying and what he was messaging, Arthur. Yeah, so uh, it, it, it began with a tweet like so many things do. Uh, he responded to a news story about the federal announcement at Glasgow that they're going to be putting a cap on oil emit, uh oil sector emissions, uh, and he said that, you know, Saskatchewan is a, sorry, I have a stutter, as you know, Saskatchewan is a, is a nation within a nation, uh, which, which is rhetorically different from what he said before. He's usually used terms like independence, autonomy, uh, but really in a concrete sense, what he talked about when he was forced to explain this term was really nothing new. I mean, it was the same push for more authority over things like taxation, uh, taxes, immigration. And really, he was trying to frame that as a Saskatchewan seeking the same powers that uh, currently the province of the uh, province of the province of the province of of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, Quebec has. So that's why he may have cho- chosen that term. But really, the the slight rhetorical change is, I think, just a way of 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 bringing this debate back into the public sphere at a time when he'd really sooner be talking about anything else but COVID. And I think that the NDP, uh, a deputy leader, Nicole Sarr, did a good way of uh, of of kind of. Of kind of responding to that, she said, "This is just semantics. Uh, it's wordplay. Really, he's saying the same thing in a different language, and uh, it, it 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 it's a good way of changing the news cycle for one day." In Saskatchewan, as you know, we have our own separate language, and I'm not fully understood it myself. I'm going to end with 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 Zach because we're kind of running out of time tonight, but. If this is intended to be a channel changer, and I don't know completely if it is, because actually I do have some sympathy for some of the messaging, uh, as Arthur said, familiar to all of us, because it's been repeated over our over years and years, really, over our grievances with Ottawa, and and especially as it relates to uh, uh, the movement on greenhouse gas emissions that don't really take into account the economic uniqueness of Saskatchewan being so resource dependent. But that aside, is that what people are really talking or thinking about from your perspective, uh, Zach? Because I still get a sense that uh, outside the circle of the SAS party, uh, and I'm talking about sort of the the real uh, intense uh, partisans within, the concern that people still have is COVID. And if we don't get our hands on COVID, all these economic problems, including people immigrating here, uh, migrating here, aren't going to get solved. Is it your sense right now that people are right now as worried or more worried about COVID than they ever were, even with the vaccine account that we now have? My, my honest impression, not from any serious reporting, I think just anecdotally from what you see on the day to day is that there's a huge amount of exhaustion with COVID-19 and a huge amount of frustration. I, I think there are plenty of people in Saskatoon who I meet who are really unhappy with how government handled this. That being said, 
they've been through four waves. They really want to be able to get over it. And they all ideally want there to be management of the pandemic such they don't have to deal with it again. Um, I know for I do know that based on polling, we know the Saskatchewan party performs extremely well on economic issues like resource management, like the oil sector, compared to their handling of COVID-19, which has taken a serious hit already. Um, so in terms of whether it's an idea that changed the channel, I, I think from the perspective of their base and what they know that they're good at, there, there is some logic there, right? They know they perform well in the economic file and they know they've taken a hit on the COVID file. So why not why not shift, shift gears a little bit? But in terms of what the average person is talking about, that age old question of where is the zeitgeist? How are people feeling about this? I think people remain worried about COVID-19 and there's broad recognition that COVID-19 is going to be an economic thorn for as long as we are unable to successfully manage it. Um, and I think a lot of people in the medical community, at least, uh, want to even see, if anything, see stronger action on it still from government, even with our caseloads declining. Um, whether that happens seems, seems fairly unlikely at this point. Um, but I don't think the pandemic uh, is over, even though a lot of people really, really, really would want it to be. And that includes government. I, I, I think I'll to that. We all want it to be over. But fortunately, I think we're going to be talking about this for a while. And we've probably gone over time in terms of our uh, discussion this week. Thank you very much, Zach and Arthur, for your time and your insights. And we'll see you guys hopefully soon on Inside the Marble Palace. Thanks, Murray. Thanks, Murray.